All right, well, we had a, a wonderful time. Had I, I had, they still are, at the, the Father-Son Retreat uh, this, this past weekend. I, I came back early to, um, to be with you all. And uh, just, just want to tell you that uh, just it was, it was a great time. I got some pictures. Uh, that was the Father-Son Retreat, so a couple fathers there, one, two, three, four, five, four, and uh, some sons. Uh, the, the snow was, was beautiful. And uh, it was it was nice. There we are, kind of being silly, kind of kind of fun there. Um, and it's kind of the snow up there when you go three and a half hours north. That's what we faced. Uh, it was rainy down here, and it crossed the line, and it was snowy up there. It had maybe eight inches or so um, the other night. It was it was wonderful. Uh, by day, we uh, we took a, a little hike here by the river on the Ice Age Trail, as uh, Brandon Ramazina said. This is like a winter wonderland, is what he said. Michelle is here someplace. I don't know where you are. There you are. And uh, he, he loved it. He said, wow, this is amazing. And then we took our uh, midnight hike and uh, went out into the woods, and we built a fire right there on the snow. It was a, it was a great time. And some even did the, uh, the polar plunge. And um, I got to tell you a story about this. Some of us, some of us men, were kind of standing around there. The, the kids were going up to uh, get their swimsuits on, and we were there, standing there. And and I made the comment, I said, "Why are we standing here in the cold? How about we go up to the cabin and get warm so that we kind of regroup and come down?" And these were some brave souls. And there, he's the bravest of them all. Uh, he he stayed there for two and a half minutes. So we have some tough elders here, just elder, <laughs> tough elder here, just to let you know that, just uh, just amazing we had that time. Well, anyway, we have been, in recent weeks, looking at the Bible as a whole. Um, we've just, we've, we've been working verse by verse through the way of the gospel, of, of the book of Acts, and uh, just now we've kind of taken some time back just before um, Advent, kind of some of the Advent season, just as we really think about and prepare for the next year. How to master the Bible. Uh, I've been encouraging you all to, to be a master of the Bible, or at least to work towards mastering the Bible. And I've challenged you um, to, to be reading somewhat in the Bible so regularly, systematically. And if you're willing, even read through the whole scripture together with some other people. I, I've encouraged you to be, as Charles Spurgeon said, visit many books, but live in the Bible. <clears throat> visit many books but live in the Bible. Really encouraging you to, to work hard to be a, a master of the Bible. And if you've got a plan and if you're, you've got some Bible study you're doing or something that's helping you become right, well acquainted with the words of the Scripture, that would be wonderful. Be a master of the Bible. Well, last week we looked at trusting the Bible. Uh, and I gave you some reasons why it is that we should trust the Bible. Because if we come to really trust the Bible, then that will give us reason then to master the Bible. I give you the illustration of a, a man jumping out of a plane with his parachute. He is going to master his parachute because he's trusting his parachute for his safety. If we're trusting the Bible for our salvation, it gives every reason to master the Bible with that as well. And I, I gave you some reasons. I said Jesus trusted the Bible. Paul, trust, Paul trusted the Bible. Peter trusted the Bible. And so ought we to trust the Bible as well, well, this week we're going to look really at the story of the Bible, kind of the, the whole overarching story of the Scripture, just to know it. And in fact, that's what I'm hoping to do. I, I've never done this before. I've preached on whole books of the Bible before, but I've never preached on the whole Bible 
story before. But that's what, that's what we're going to do. The Bible is a, a big book, and we're going to try to get through everything here today. And what my hope to do is to give you uh, just an overview and an idea of that and, and really demonstrate to you a little bit about like what mastering the Bible really means. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I have entirely mastered it. Um, I, I do have a, a Master of Divinity degree, but that hardly means that I'm a, a Master of Divinity. I have a Master of Computer Science degree, so I've got some level of competence on that, but I've not totally mastered it. But so likewise with the, the Bible, right? the story of the Bible. And, and this morning also... I want to do something unique as well, is uh, I don't want to, um, let's see, do we have that? That didn't go. Hang on. Let me, let me do this. Uh, I don't want to merely preach to you all. Uh, let's see. Is this better? Yeah. Um, is that? I don't know if that's better. Yes, it is better. All right. Uh, this morning, I'm, it's going to feel more like a Sunday school class rather than uh, a preaching time. Um, and so we're going to have some interaction we just think through the scriptures together. For some of you, what we're going to talk about today is like totally new. And for some of you, this will be old hat and just uh, helpful clarification on some things. Also, by the way, I have some notes in the back. If you maybe if you want some notes like this, you can kind of follow along and we're just going to fill that in. And so you can, you can even get up right now and get those if you kind of like let's sit back and, and look at. This is filled with blanks. I will get you a hard copy of this all filled out. Later, just kind of help to give you an idea and a scope of the scriptures of what you want to what you want to um, do and understand. Okay, I'm sorry. What? I emailed these blank notes to so you. If you got an iPad, just like you do, you can you can do that. That would be great. Uh, for those at home, you got your notes uh, going at it as well. And um, so this morning we're going to do some dialogue back and forth. And so here's here's my question to you: Is we got all these boxes here on the how many boxes are on this piece of paper? If I had candy, like, okay, so there's Sunday school or children. If I had candy, I'd be like, throw and do some. How many, how many boxes are here? 66. And why are there 66 boxes? 66 books of the Bible. In fact, there are 66 books of the Bible. There are 39 in the Old Testament, and there are 27 in the New Testament. And so the object here is to kind of fill in where each of the Bible books fit. Because when you read the Bible, the master of the Bible, you really need to understand like where each, where each book of the Bible really fits. So, sometimes, especially with kids growing up, they hear stories about David and Goliath. Or they hear some other story about Jesus and the woman at the well. Or, or they hear some story about this big flood. And they have no idea. It's like all this spaghetti in their mind. And it's really helpful in understanding mastering the Bible is to know that wherever you read, kind of where you are in the story of history, in the story of the Bible, in the story of, uh, of the Scripture. And so what I want to do, first of all, is to give you all a, uh, a big overview. Okay. Oops, not, not that one right there. And so this, this is going to be pr- pretty cool here, I, I think. Okay, What I want to talk about is the meta-narrative of the Bible. Okay, So who knows what the meta-narrative of the Bible is? Everyone except Ryan. I know Ryan. Who knows what the meta-narrative of the Bible is? And there's lots of meta-narrative. Who knows what meta-narrative means? Tina. <laughs> it means like big story. Big story. So if you had to summarize the Bible... Big story, how might you summarize it? There's lots of different ways. There's no right or wrong answer, but I have one answer that I'm going to give to you all. But how would you summarize it? 
Okay, redeeming love. That's a good thing. That God's redeeming love. Yep. And so we, we have redemption in mind. But if you're going to redeem them, you need to be lost first, right? Or you need to be... So here, here are my words, okay? We have creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So, there, there, so, so God created the world. It fell. And then redeeming love. There's the redemption that comes and the restoration. And, and now when, when we think here particularly though of, uh, of, the, um, of, of the creation, particularly here we're, we're thinking about even, like if I, if I come in here like this, here we go. We're thinking about like Genesis uh, 1 and 2 is what we're thinking about. So just, just like God created the world. And, and then when we think about how it fell and how God then works to redeem the world, Ultimately, then, he'll restore the world, and, and that will come in, um, in Revelation 21 and 22. So in between there, we have a huge, we have a huge fall and redemption, right? But we're going to see over and over throughout the whole story of the Scripture is it's not, that's the big grand story of the meta narrative is that, is that God created things, and then it fell, and he, and he works to restore it. Ultimately, he works to redeem it ultimately for a big redemption. But we're going to see that story like over and over and over and over again in the Bible. But another way to say it is that, is that God made it and, and we broke it. But God redeems it in Christ. And God is always like redeeming love. He's like always coming and, and remaking it and rehelping it, restoring it, giving us another chance, giving us another opportunity. And we mess up. And giving it another opportunity, we mess up. And so we're going to see the story of the Bible is just continual mess-ups of people that God always comes in and restores. So, so that is, if you will, that is the, the great meta-narrative of the Scripture. Okay, so the very first book of the Bible, this is kind of a timeline. So this, this top section here is the Old Testament, and this bottom section here is the New Testament. So as we think about the first book of the Old Testament, who, who can tell me what the first book of the Old Testament is? Genesis, this first book, good. You've been at Bible college all semester long. That's wonderful. I, I, I love that. Let's see. So if we get, if we get, nope, up. Oh, I gotta find it. I gotta find it here. Here we come. Here we have Genesis. Okay? And, and in Genesis, what do we read about? We read about the creation of the world. That, that God created the world in six days, speaking it into existence. And they put two men, two people in the garden, and their names were Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. Perfect people in a perfect place. And they could do anything they wanted. They could enjoy, eat every tree except the one tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And what they do? They hate. They messed it up. And, and that's when they, they brought things into, into the fall. Right? Let's see if we go here. They brought the fall upon us. By sinning. And, and, and that's, that's not just bringing it upon themselves. That brought it upon the rest of mankind. We sin today by nature because we're children of Adam. Adam was our representative, and as he sinned, he plunged us all into sin. And so we face the judgment of God because we are men. As Ephesians 2, verse 3 says, that we are children of wrath. By nature, by how we've been born, we are under the wrath of God because of Adam's choice. But here's the good news. Romans chapter 5 speaks about how there was another man who came 
and he didn't mess up, but he fixed it. And, and that in Christ, we can be made alive and restored. Just like Adam, what he did brought judgment to us. Just by what Jesus did, if we believe and trust in him, he'll bring us life. Romans chapter 5 is really key to understand this, the implication of one man bringing sin to all of us and coming up in Jesus then as well. So we see the creation in Genesis. What else do we see in Genesis? Right after the fall, so we see the creation, the fall. What else do we see? Okay, we're going to get there, but not yet. Before the fall, things are proving pretty good on the earth after the fall. They're doing awful. Genesis 5, 6, as Lord looked down upon the earth and saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every thought and intention of the heart was only evil continually. The breadth of sin, Genesis 6, 5, was much. The depth of sin was much. Every thought and intention of the heart was only evil continually. So what did God do? He flooded the world. He brought judgment upon the whole world. started over with Noah. And then uh, he said, uh, I want you to build this. Uh, I, want, I want you to scatter over the earth. They didn't scatter, so he scattered them at the Tower of Babel. We have four events here in Genesis. And then, Jake, what do we have here? Abraham. We have Abraham. This is, this is huge. Abraham comes in Genesis chapter... Let's see if we pull this up here. Genesis chapter... Where, when is Abraham introduced to us? Genesis chapter... Genesis 12. Okay, like this is huge. Genesis 12 is called the Abrahamic Covenant. This is when God comes to Abraham. And of all the people on the earth, he chooses this man from a, from an, a family that worships idols, and he takes this man from Ur the Chaldeans, and he just says, I am going to bless you. So you go from this, you go into the land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to bless you and make of you a great nation, and I'm going to give you this land. And Genesis chapter 12 is one of those chapters in the Bible you just need to know. Because the story of history like zooms right up to the story of Abraham and then stops and slows down and starts telling us. The whole rest of the Bible is a story about Abraham's children right there. And so Abraham, he's got this covenant. And, and, and by the way, why, why did God bless Abraham with his covenant? Because he was such a good, righteous guy? No, because of God's electing grace. He just chose him. Of anybody, he chose Abraham's going to bless him. And so Abraham had a son, and Abraham's son's name was, help me, I forgot, <laughs> Isaac, you're right, Isaac, Isaac, and then Isaac's son was Jacob, and Jacob had how many sons? Twelve of them. Can anyone name the twelve sons of Jacob? Reuben, Simeon. Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. If you want to master the Bible, those would be some good names to remember. These sons then become the tribes of the children of Israel. And if you know these names, they like recognize, oh, like I know that Gad's one of the sons. And I know that Manasseh's one of the sons. And Joseph was one of the sons then as well. And Joseph, if you remember, his brothers hated him. Brought him into where? What country? Egypt. And he was into Egypt, and Israel became slaves until, um, until a man named someone brought them out. A man named what? Moses brought them out. Moses, let's see, hang on here. Let's, Moses brought them out. And this is, we're talking Exodus now. This is the book of Exodus. And Moses brought them out 
of the land of slavery. Remember how I did that with the plagues? Like, and, and you know why? Why did God do take Israel out with plagues? Like, he, he could have just said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, just let my people go. Pharaoh says, okay. Do you know why God poured out these ten plagues upon Egypt? If you read Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it, it basically says that I hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he wouldn't let you go so that I could show how great I was and pour out these, these ten plagues. Do you know the ten plagues? Water in the Nile is turned to blood. Do you know them? Frogs, gnats, swarms of insects, pestilence on livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death the firstborn. Those would be good things to memorize, right? Just understanding the plagues. But God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could show his power so that the fathers of Israel could tell their children what a great God they have. And so if you look throughout the rest of the, the scriptures, you see over and over and over again, you see the, the, the people of Israel referring back to how, what a great God is, about all these plagues that he poured out upon Israel. And here's a, here's a picture of redemption, right? We've been talking about with creation and fall and, and now redemption. In fact, exodus means exit, exit, like coming out, right? They're, they're saving this people from Egypt, coming out. He's kind of like, he's redeeming them. They're starting again and starting afresh. They've been slaves. And now they are free as they, they begin. And he's going to bring them finally to this promised land that he promised back there in Genesis chapter 12. And so in the middle of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, you remember what God gives to the people of Israel right in the middle of Exodus? He gives the... The Ten Commandments, right, good. Exodus chapter 20 is the the Ten Commandments. And that would be a good chapter for you to know. Exodus chapter 20, these are the Ten Commandments. Can you name the Ten Commandments? Yeah, do not worship any other gods. Do not make any idols. Do not use the name of God. Go ahead. Keep going. Yep. Do not... Murder. Good. Cheyenne, you learned that well from Kids Club. These are the Ten Commandments that he gives. But that's just the beginning of the law. And, and, and the story is that these are the commandments God gives us, and how well do we keep them? Not so good. We need a Redeemer. The law is not good news. The law is, is bad news. And, and here with Exodus 20 begins the law. We give the law of Moses. And then also, right, one of the books of the Bible here is Leviticus, right? Right here, just kind of right here, right after Exodus and before Numbers, uh, Leviticus comes in. And uh, the idea of Leviticus is it tells about priests and it tells about sacrifice and it tells us what we're required. But that's, a, that's like right there in the law. It doesn't really progress. If you notice, Genesis kind of tells the story of the history. Exodus tells the story of the history. Leviticus really doesn't tell a history story, but it's important. But it fits right in there. It's right talking about the law. And then numbers, right? Number, what, what happens in numbers? One word about numbers. Numbers about what? Yeah, there are some numbers there, but what it's about? What's the story in numbers? Where's the people of Israel? What are they doing? They're wandering. Because in chapters, if, if you want some, some key chapters here in numbers, it's chapter 13. Right when, when, the, when the spies go into the land to see, God's finally saying, okay, remember back in Abraham, I promised you the land. And now through Joseph, right, you've, you've been in Exodus, you've been in Egypt, and now I'm taking you out of Egypt, and now I'm going to finally give you this land that I promised to Abraham. So the spies go in, they look at the land, and then they come back and say, oh, we don't want to take that land. They didn't believe God. So God said, 40 years, you're going to wander around in the wilderness. 
And that's what Numbers 13, Numbers tells us all about. Their wanderings in the wilderness. It was a, a bad and dark time because the people were not obedient, not trusting the Lord. And at the end of that time, then we see uh, the book of Deuteronomy where Moses gives his last sermons. He says, I can't enter the land, but you all can. And be faithful to God. And choose Him. And serve Him. Because the mess of the Bible so far is that God chose Abraham just to bless him. And um, the people didn't do so well. And uh, Jacob was a scoundrel. And eventually they found themselves in Egypt as slaves. And God redeemed him from there. He says, okay, let's start again. And they messed up. They didn't believe. And so Moses saying, hey, let, let's believe. But someone brought them into the promised land. you remember his name? Who brought them into the promised land? Help me now. Joshua brought them into the promised land. And there is the next book of the Bible. We got, we got Joshua here. All right, and Joshua tells the story of the conquest of Israel. Remember some of the cities that Joshua came in and, and uh, defeated? Remember the most famous city? What's the most famous city Joshua beat? Jericho, right? Joshua chapter 2. And they, they, they walked right around the city, right? They visited it first, and then by the time Joshua 6 came, they walked around the city, and God is the one that, that caused the walls to fall down, and they just walked right in and took over that city. And then the next city they overtook was, what, what was it called? Ai. Ex, uh, Joshua chapter 7 speaks about that. They're going to go and they're conquering this tiny little city. They don't even need so much. And they went into the city and they got defeated. Because Achan had, in Jericho, had taken the things that were banned from them. And, and again, a story of not these great people, warriors, taking the land totally, but uh, struggling in their sin. And God says, you can't take Ai. There's sin in the land. So they purge their sin. Then they take Ai and they take the promised land. If you read Joshua... About the first nine chapters speaks about how they just start taking, and then they take the south, and then they take the north. And by the end of Joshua, Joshua 21, I think it's 25, it says uh, they conquered all land, and God gave them all the promises that he had failed. Not one of them had failed to come to pass. God is just faithful to Israel, and now Israel's in the land. And, and, and you think that things are going really wonderful for them, right? And then you hit the book of Judges, all right? The, the book of Judges, if, uh, Avon, you're, you're watching, um, this is like her least favorite book of the Bible because Judges is an awful book. Judges, the word, we think of Judges, we think about, um, uh, we think about magistrates who sit up in a, in, a, in a rostrum someplace and they cast judgment upon people. These Judges, though, were really more like uh, my rulers, and God provided rulers for the people of Israel, but these rulers were not such good rulers. You remember some of the judges? Any names of the judges? You remember any of them? Samson's like the last one, right? He, he, his story is told. Uh, Samson is in, let's see, Samson, if I just put that here. His story is told in chapter 13 to 16. Okay, he was, he was really a, a sex-hungry, power-hungry kind of guy. Um, long hair and just wild out of control guy but this was the sort of guys that that uh, judges talk about you remember other king other judges in sam in the uh, judges huh jephthah yeah and he was such a good guy right remember he went out and conquered land he says yeah first thing comes out of my house i'm going to sacrifice and stephanie comes out of the house right his daughter and so he sacrifices his daughter Good thing I'm not Jephthah. I wouldn't have made that vow. But he's stupid makes this vow. So a child sacrifices his daughter. What's another judge? Deborah. Right? This woman who raised up. Right? And she raised up because the men weren't leading. But she did a great job of leading the men. It shouldn't have been. What other? What other judge? 
Gideon, yeah, that faithless man, right? God said, go destroy the idols. And he's like kind of really timid. So when does he destroy the idols? Remember that? At night, when no one's looking. And then they're crumbled down. They say, oh, who did that? And you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. He's like cowardly, not trusting the Lord. And the guys, you got to know Ehud. Ehud, the left-handed king, who, who stabs the big fat job of the hut. He takes his sword and goes, and the sword was all gone. And he, he killed him. That's a great story for maybe family worship. That'd be great sometime. <laughs> judges chapter 3, you can read about that. But these judges, I mean, the story is of them just paling down, getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And God raised up a judge as they get better. The judge dies, and then they're worse than before. And so we've seen this, these judges, and, um, and, and by the way, at, at, at the time of the judges, the book of Ruth is written. It says right there in the very first book, very first verse of Ruth, it says, now in the time of the judges, this whole love story happens. And, and, and I love how the story of the Bible, it's not just all history. There, there's like a love story, like, like Ruth placed in there. It's a great story to read. Um, sometimes there's poetry, that sometimes there's apocalyptic, prophetic. It's, it's all, it's so manifest and so, so wonderful, but always tells a story about God having created this world, but we fall into sin. We need a redeemer who comes to Jesus, and he's always helping, his relentless love, coming back again and again, but yet we're, we're not just faithful people. And in fact, one of the stories you get from the Old Testament, you get from the Bible, is the Bible's not filled with all these wonderful people who do wonderfully good things. And God rewards them for their faithfulness. The Bible is a story about these people who are wicked and sinful and selfish, who rebel against the Lord, and yet still God works through them to save them. That's the message of the Bible. And so Judges, uh, the next book uh, after Judges and after Ruth comes what? Do you know your books? Do you know the books of the Bible? Like you should be able to say the books if you want to master the Bible. You need to know what I say, the ABCs, right? Good, 1 Samuel, good, we're getting there. You can use your table of contents if you want. 1 Samuel there is also a book about Saul. We're introduced into Saul. Now, who is Saul? Saul is a, is a king. And so what, what's happening here at this point is we're transitioning from judges to kings. Okay? From judges to kings. Because you remember that transition? Israel was supposed to trust the Lord like God was their, their, their Lord. And they looked around and all these other nations had kings. And they said, oh, they have kings and we want a king. And so they wanted a king. And, and Samuel, who was the last judge, sort of go, um, spilling over, he said, uh, you don't want that. You don't want a king. And they said, yes, we want a king. And God says, you just know this, that they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being their king. So they, they wanted this king and they got a king. What do you know about King Saul? He was tall, dark, and handsome. He's just like, like you, Chad. I think that's why you know him. Tall, dark, and handsome, right? Exactly like that. King Saul. King Chad, right? The, the man's man, right? Like maybe Darren. The guy who's going to jump in the water and sit there for two and a half minutes, right? Just like crazy. He was, he was the man's man. And yet, when it came to the Lord, how was he? He was not so good. He messed up. Remember how he messed up? There's some times which he messed up. Didn't kill all the Amalekites, right? I think that's 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember what else he did? He offered a sacrifice, 1 Samuel 13. Remember what else he did? He brought up the witch at Endor, 1 Samuel 28. 
And by the way, I'm trying to model for you a little bit of how to master the Bible, right? I told you last week how you need to know what the Bible says, where it says it, and how it says it, right? To be able to say, oh yeah, um, it's either 1 Samuel 13 or 15. I think it's 15 where the Amalekites weren't totally destroyed. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm mixed, but it's one of those, 13 or 15. Oh yeah, which in Endor? Oh yeah, that's 1 Samuel 28. I remember that. Do you remember when Saul was anointed king? It's 1 Samuel chapter 9. And so this Saul, this this people's idea, and his story primarily is told in 1 Samuel. Okay, and then the next book of the Bible, help us out, Thatcher, is 1 Samuel. We got 2 Samuel, and 2 Samuel talks about who? Talks about David, right? That's 2 Samuel primarily. So if you think, in your mind, right, 1 Samuel is Saul, and 2 Samuel is David. And then the next book after that is 1 Kings, and who's 1 Kings talking about? Solomon is in the, the first Kings, all right? First Kings, there we go. Solomon is being talked about um, right there. So if you even put those in mind, right, that, that first Samuel is Saul and second Samuel is, uh, is uh, David and then first Kings is Solomon. And who is second Kings? <laughs> who came after Solomon? Rehoboam and Jeroboam. That's where I'm calling this, where it's a split. Where, where, where the kings, it used to be this united kingdom, and then there was a civil war, and they split into Israel and Judah. Some in the north and some in the south. And the, the story of 1 Kings and 2 Kings just tells that story about the, um, the divided kingdom and who they were. There were kings in Israel was in the north, and Judah was in the south. And, and, and when you look at these kings, like what's the testimony of these kings? Like the kings of Israel... Like, can you remember the good kings of Israel? He was Judah. Was he? I, mean, I, can't, I don't remember. I think he was... I can't remember. My point is, there's no, there's no good king of Israel. So if I knew he was in Israel, I knew he was a bad king. There were 19 kings in Israel. And they were all bad, wretched. Now, there were a few good kings in Judah... Okay, Asa was one who did seek the Lord. Right? Other good kings in Judah, do you remember some of their names? Huh? Hezekiah was a good king. Instituted the Passover again, you're right. Other good kings? Jehoshaphat, yeah, sort of. Josiah was, for sure, right? The king who reigned at a young age, right? All right, so those are the kings, and they, they split in half. Okay, so at this point, we need to pick up on some other things, right? We need to pick up on First Chronicles. I've not talked about that yet. You pick up on First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. Does these tell parallel stories to First Kings and Second Kings? And, and, and basically, First Chronicles is First Samuel, Second Samuel, and Second Chronicles is First Kings and Second Kings. Is what we are there. Uh, uh, what do you know about David? What else did David write? David wrote a bunch of psalms. Now he didn't write all the psalms. He wrote a bunch of the psalms, but he didn't write all of them. So I'm going to write. The, who else wrote psalms? Solomon wrote one psalm, Psalm 72. Who else wrote psalms? Moses. Moses wrote one psalm. What psalm? Psalm 90. Moses wrote that. Who wrote other psalms? The sons of Korah wrote some psalms. Okay. Um, but we know that David wrote about half the psalms. He may have written a bunch of others, but we don't, we don't exactly know. But these are poetries. Who, who has a favorite psalm that they love? 
Psalm what? 23, right? That's a good psalm, Mike. Is it a good psalm, Psalm 23? A great psalm, right? Other psalms you like. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Other psalms. Psalm 1, the blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Delights in the law of the Lord, right? What is another psalm you like? 117, that's the shortest one. That's easiest to memorize, right? Which one? 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Just a great blessing of the Lord. What other psalm? 73, right? I almost went astray, Asaph says, but then I went in the household of God and I, and I saw their end and I'm going to pursue and follow after other gods. These psalms, right, should be in your heart. You should know some psalms. They're going to minister to your soul. Okay, Solomon wrote what kind of books? He wrote Song of Solomon. That's right. The song. What else did he write? And what else did he write? He wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, right? You can read the Proverbs. These are like general wisdom nuggets of truth. Ecclesiastes is a super philosophical book talking about how everything in life is vain. And the best thing is just to remember your creator in the days of youth. And Song of Solomon, we got a love story. So if you want a, a little love story, right, you can read Ruth. You can read Song of Solomon. It's a great story about his, probably his first marriage. You remember how many marriages um, Solomon had? How many wives did he have? How many? I think it was 600. 600? What? 600 wives? Can you believe it? And here's the thing about Solomon. Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. You think 600 wives and 300 concubines? You think that's a wise thing? There's a story of the Bible again, right? The Old Testament is not about these great people who did all these great things. Here's the, the wisest person who ever lived. In fact, if you read 1 Kings chapter 4, um, God speaks about Solomon. He's the wisest one who's ever been, and he's the wisest one who ever will be. Like He's like the goat, is, um, is Solomon. No, and, and here's this guy, and he fails in his marriages, right? And he fails as a king, Right? And Ecclesiastes talk about that. I got all these things. I, I, I tried alcohol. I, I tried learning. I tried pleasures. I tried all this stuff, and it was all vain. And there's a story of the Old Testament. Is that, is it's not you just seeking God of your own merits. Here's the best one ever, the smartest one ever. And he was smart. He has a lot of Proverbs for us to learn from. But ultimately, he's not the one to follow. And then you remember in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus comes along. And he says, I tell you, something better than Solomon is here. Jesus is our ultimate wisdom. But there is Solomon um, in uh, in, uh, 1 Kings, speaks about him. But then right here, right here, there's there's this split. You got to know that there's this split in uh, 1 Kings 11. Chapter 11 is where this split takes place. And the split takes place into a northern kingdom. And a southern kingdom. And the name of the northern kingdom is what? Do you remember? Israel. And the name of the south is Judah. And you remember that because that's alphabetical. Israel and Judah. Right? So you got Israel in the north and you got Judah in the south. And let's see if I let's see if I can find this. Um, we're gonna come right here. You got Judah and we got Israel in the north. Okay, so you got Israel, and uh, eventually then they went on, and at the end, uh, in the middle of 2 Kings, they were destroyed. Do you remember who destroyed Israel? Assyria. So I'm just going to put Assyria right here. Assyria. Assyria 
destroyed Israel in the north. And then someone came and destroyed Judah. Who destroyed Judah? Babylon. Okay? And so um, this is helpful to understand because you have some, some prophets who are writing to Israel. Do you know who the prophets are who wrote to Israel? There were two of them, Amos and Hosea. So they wrote to the northern nation. Basically, it's kind of a warning. Hey, guys, guys, look, look, you're going to be destroyed. And there was a, and then to Judah, I had a ton of prophets, and I'm just going to put some of them down here. We got Isaiah, Zebaniah, Habakkuk. But you, you all see that they all kind of end at the end of 2 Kings, because at the end of 2 Kings, this is when the deportation to Babylon came. And when Judah was ultimately destroyed. So here, think about it. God's promising to bless Abraham and all his descendants. You get all these descendants. And he got all of them. And he's, he's writing to them. And, and Israel was so bad in their apostasy. None of the kings were good. And they were destroyed by Assyria. And now we've, we've got 2 Kings, right? We have the story of Judah and, and the writing and, and Proverbs. Like, like what, who's, who's particularly a prophet who is writing to Judah? Pleading with them over and over to repent. Yeah, 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 yeah. His name was Jeremiah. And in fact, when, uh, the, when Jerusalem fell, he was so disappointed, so sorrowful. Lamentation chapter 1, verse 2. Oh, the city that once was full of people is now this vacant, empty spot. Judah, over and over, repent, repent, right? Because uh, Hezekiah or, or, or Nebuchadnezzar is coming from Babylon. He's going to destroy you. And then the prophets are saying, peace, peace. But there was no peace. And, and Jeremiah say, no, he's going to come and destroy you. Repent. And so they hate his message so much that they, they put him in a pit. They persecuted him. And then at this time, after 2 Kings, what happens in the history of Israel? You remember? There's an exile for 70 years. So where is Judah at this point? They're in exile in Babylon. Can you name anybody who went to exile in Babylon? Daniel. Daniel's a guy. And his three friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their yeah, they're, uh, Babylonian names. And here they are, 70 years of exile in this foreign land. And here the people of God promised to Abraham this great, this great covenant to them. It's going to be a big blessing to them. In, in fact, one of the big blessings that we, we missed here, we didn't talk about it, was to... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is the great promise to David. The Davidic covenant. Covenant. That you're going to have this king who's going to rule forever. So we see this covenant to Abraham. I'm just going to bless you in Genesis chapter 12. We see that. And we see in Genesis, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see this Davidic covenant. You're going to have a, a king who's going to rule and reign for you forever. How's that happen? How's that working out for them? Not so good. They're in exile in this land. And so no longer is it going to be the son of David is going to rule and reign because there's no son of David's reign. You need another son of David to come and to rule and reign. Who's that going to be? Jesus. He's the son of David is going to be the eternal one. He's going to be the, the eternal king is going to reign forever. And he's going to be the one who brings the blessing to Israel forever, all the descendants of, of, of Abraham together. So we got 70 years of exile. And then what happens? There's a decree from a king named Cyrus. Good job. He decrees. He says, okay, you guys, Jews, like you can go back to Israel now. And who are the guys that go back? Zerubbabel. 
Zerubbabel, what, what, what was Zerubbabel's job? Zerubbabel, what was his job? Build the temple, right? Who else came back? Ezra. Ezra. And what was his job? He finished building the temple and teach the law. And who else came back? Come on, Gary. Nehemiah. What was Nehemiah going to do? He builds the wall. And so these guys come back and they rebuild Jerusalem. And by the way, there's some other prophets coming about this time who are prophesying and who are telling about this time. So during the years of exile also we have, we have prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel. Um, Ezekiel's prophesying primarily during this time. And during the exile here we also have Esther. It's a great story of the sovereignty of God. And thus ends the Old Testament. And you remember what happens after that? Silence. For how many years? 400 years of silence. So here, where's the plan of God? Here was Israel, and and he gave them all these things, right? He he created them, and it made all good. And then what happens is they destroyed it all, and now they're in exile in Babylon, and they're gone. And then they come back, and the city is hardly like the city was. They come back. They need someone. They need a help. And this is the messianic hope that we we uh, we celebrate at Christmas time. That they need help. They need someone to come and super restore it. Of course, that's going to be Jesus. And by the way, one of the things I want to do here for you is uh, is give you here what I call the twelve stages in the Bible. Now, now that we've talked about the big meta narrative, is the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the ultimate restoration. Here's another, you just need to kind of keep this in your mind. The 12 stages in the Bible. Okay, I know a lot of you can do this. Creation, patriarchs, keep going. Exodus, what's next? Conquest, and then what? Judges, kingdom, return. Okay, do you remember the song? Here we go. Let's see. 12 stages in the Bible. Let's learn them one by one. Okay, all you know. Creation. Patriarchs, Exodus, Conquest, Judges, Kingdom, Exile, Return, da 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 da, Silence, Gospel, Church, and Mission. Or you might say it another way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down here. Silence. Then you got the Gospels and the Church, and sometimes it's called Mission, but I think it's His Return is right at the end of the. Uh, this is the whole end time. These are the 12 stages in the Bible. If you work hard, you learn that song. If you need help, learn that song. I'll sing it to you about 10 times and maybe you'll get it. You got the words right here. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll give you the YouTube link in the weekly word. You kind of sing it as a family. That'd be really good, right? 12 stages in the Bible. And and I'm encouraged. You got to learn that from, uh, I taught you that song a time back. I taught the big picture of the Bible, 12 sermons over the 12 stages. Um, and I'm trying to do today in one sermon what I did in 12 sermons. Anyway. We are right here. We have the return. And by the way, if you're looking for some dates, right? Abraham's about 2000 BC. Uh, the conquest about 1400 BC. David is about 1000 BC. Uh, Israel falls in 722 BC. And in 7, 586 BC is when Judah falls. To kind of give you a perspective. And then the silence. Let's see if we come down here. Can you see that down the bottom? Oh, yeah, you can. Okay, good. If I go here like this. Uh, let's go here. Silence starts about 400 BC, and then we got the Gospels, which is Christ. He comes about 30 AD, um, and then about 60 AD is in here someplace. All right, so they'll kind of give you some time frame. So we got the New Testament. We got to come to the New Testament. All right, we got silence for 400 years, and then what happens? 
Christmas, right? That's these trees happen, right? The, the whole celebration, the coming of the Messiah. So we read in our prayer meeting today, which I invite you to come to. Please help pray the Lord to seek his blessing upon us. In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We thought about the light. We prayed about the light. The light came and was a great blessing to us. It's Christmas time. And the story of Jesus is told in the first four books of the New Testament, which are? What are they? Help me out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are right here. we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they tell the story of Jesus. And at the end of them all is the Passion Week and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. In fact, all of them have have devoted about a fourth of their Gospels to the end, the Passion Week, because of all their writing, they focus a fourth of their writing upon the last week of Jesus, because that's the most important week in the life of Christ. When he comes into Jerusalem as their king, and they reject him, and then he's crucified upon the cross for our sins, and then he's dead and buried. And then he raises again to give us life that we might believe in his name to be exalted right where he is, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are raised up with him by faith in Jesus. There's a story of Jesus. You have some favorite stories of Jesus. Let's just take one minute. Favorite stories of Jesus. Shout him out. What do you know? Water, turning water into wine. John chapter 2, good. What else? What? Feeding 5,000, right? John chapter 6. Matthew chapter 14. Mark chapter 6. Flipping the table, right? As he comes into, into uh, Jerusalem, right? That's Matthew 21. Walking on water, John chapter 6 again, good. Lazarus, John chapter... 11. Raising Lazarus from the dead. How about one or two more? Nicodemus. Nicodemus right? Where's he told? Story of Nicodemus. John 3. Right, good. What else? Washing the disciples' feet. Where's that come? John 13. The temptation. Where's that come? Matthew 4 and in Luke chapter 4. I just, I, I'm trying to model for you a little bit like it, 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 to know what the Bible says and where it says it just to kind of get the perspective. The temptation was at the beginning of his ministry, right? And then he got some things at the end and things in the middle of his ministry. And sometimes he's ministering in Galilee, sometimes in Jerusalem. Passion Week comes. I encourage you to work hard. Do some chapter summary. Start memorizing what's in uh, each of these, these books. And so here we see, we see the life of Jesus here in the Gospels. And Jesus is this redeemer who comes and redeems his crucifixion, resurrection, the culmination, the high point of history. Even, even these dates, I mean, they, they all hinge. Everything's before Jesus and everything's after Jesus. Every time someone writes a date down, they're giving testimony to Jesus. That'd be a good witnessing opportunity, a good pivot there. You can pivot right there. That'd be good. We have the life of Jesus. And then we have here, we see next, we see the formation and growth of the early church. And what book is crucial in telling us about the formation and growth of the early church? The book of Acts. Right, here we go. Okay, we got the book of Acts. Acts has 28 chapters. I've just written down a, a few of them. Okay, you remember what happens in chapter 2? You might be able to see it there. 
Chapter 1 was Ascension. Chapter 2 is Pentecost, right when the Spirit comes. Chapter 7, you see it there? What? Stephen was martyred in chapter 7. I'm preaching through this recently, so you should know this. In chapter 9, what's the big thing that happens there? Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. And then what happens? What's the big thing in chapter 13? The first mission, right? And then we're going to see, as we work through here, we're going to see the second mission. And then we're going to see the third mission as we we work our way through the book of Acts. And finally, the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. And we've worked our way through verse by verse, right up through, right in the middle of Acts chapter uh, Acts, right in the middle after chapter 14, and we're going to begin chapter 15. It's the Jerusalem Council, and then they're going to go out on a, another missions trip, and they're going to come back and go out. And, and they're going to be visiting different places. Do you remember where Paul and Barnabas visit? What are some places they visit? Derby, Lystra, Antioch, Macedonia is a region. You know, some city, Athens. He's in Athens in Acts 17. Good. Where else are you going? Corinth in Acts 18. We're going to find out about the church he plants in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Thessalonica is going to be there, Acts 17. What? Berea is Acts 17 as well. Yeah. In Galatia, right? He's visiting that region. It's kind of near where the first missionary journey was. And all of these, by the way, these, these then, he plants these churches and then he writes some, some, uh, he writes some books. And he visited, first, he visited Thessalonica in Acts 17. And then he wrote to them pretty quickly, these two books. And, and he planted Corinth in uh, Acts chapter 18. And then he writes to them later, First and Second Corinthians. By the way, I'm looking forward to preaching through someday. It's like the First and Second Americans. Like sinful, it's all get out. Like, and, and again, all right? So these churches that are made are not like good, righteous places with all these good, righteous people. You just read 1 Corinthians and see the wickedness of what's taking place in these churches. Again, even though we're redeemed in Jesus, there's working out of our sanctification, right? There's working out of our life, and we just need to continue to trust Christ because we're not sufficient in and of ourselves. He also writes Romans around this time. He writes Galatians around this time. Do you remember what he writes when he's in prison? He writes the prison epistles when he's in prison. Do you remember what the prison epistles are? Maybe you didn't know there were prison epistles. But even Paul says in there, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. He's in prison is when he's writing these epistles. He writes several of them. (laughs) We got these guys, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And, uh, and, and, And notice what I've tried to do here, by the way. Is uh, these these books of the Bible here? Like, uh, let me let me just do this color here. These books of the Bible, by the way, are they like they tell the storyline of the Bible, and so it's really crucial to understand these eleven books. They push the storyline across. Every other book of the Bible lines up in them, and, and so likewise, these books here, Acts, they push the storyline of the Bible. And so you need to know those, and then you kind of find out where everything else kind of slots in. That's why they're all off the timeline. Now, after Paul's in prison, we don't know exactly about what's happening in history. Uh, we have some, some guesses that he was in prison then a second time in Rome before he was beheaded, but he was somewhat free. We kind of picked that up from some of his epistles. But these are the other books of the Bible. I'll just, I'll just put them in there for you. You can kind of read them if you want, and we could talk a lot about, about all of these 
right? There's, what do I got? I'm, I'm missing something. What am I missing? Help me. Oh, I'm missing Job. I'm missing these guys as well. I'm sorry. So Job was written here during the time of Genesis. Okay. And, and by the way, you don't need to rush to write these down. I'm going to send you out a complete, a complete perspective of this so that whenever you're in a book of the Bible, you kind of put, put where it is. And then, right, these are other prophets who are writing to Assyria and to Edom. That's what they are. Sorry, I forgot those. Thank you very much. And so anyway, we're, we're down here. We're talking about the, the letters that are written. And all these help are were written to the church. Super practical. Super helpful for us. And then we finish with Revelation. The story of the Bible, right? Now, Revelation on the one hand is very difficult to understand. It's apocalyptic literature filled with all imagery. But I encourage you to read it. It's, it's really if you just say, you know what, I'm not going to get bogged down in all the details. Just see the big picture. The big picture is what? That Jesus wins. And uh, I just want to close our message here today. Just reading some from Revelation 21. Just as we think about the story of the Bible and we think about the, the, the fall and how mankind just continues to resist and continues to rebel and continues to fall astray and continue to go. And God comes in again, His relentless love, and brings back the people from Egypt and then they fail to believe. And they finally brings him into the land and they demand a king after all these judges. And then they got a king and then they're wicked and then he exiles them and finally brings the Messiah and we think that everything's going to be right. And so starts planting these churches and everything's looking up and all these churches, yes, there are redeemed folks in there, but even Revelation 2 and 3 speak about some of the churches are, are quite out bad. There's seven churches listed there. Two of them are good. Four of them, one of them is uh, okay. And then four of them are really bad. And I think today there are lots of churches that really just aren't, aren't good. And we just hope to be a, a good church. Lots of good churches um, in the world, certainly, but there are lots of churches that get caught up not, perch, not looking at the Scriptures. Right? They're looking at other things, social issues, and uh, right, trying to save the world, humanity, whatever. We just, we just need to bring Jesus to people with the gospel. It's what people ultimately need. They need a community of people on on mission for Christ. Well, let me just read some from Revelation. This is the new creation. This is the restoration. Just want your hearts to like bathe in this after all these bad things, all these trials. In the end, it will ultimately be restored. Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, by the way, we're on the first earth, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepares the bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. Now, think about it. Genesis chapter 1 began in a garden with God with them. When Adam and Eve sinned, they, they were expelled far from God. But now here we see them being restored again into a city with God being with them. There's a great message that he'll be with them. And then he says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. You looking forward to that? The time when the restoration all comes and when it's glorious and, and no more... Right? COVID. 
No more people dying. No more hardship. No more tears. All wiped away. So we can be restored. And it describes even the city with, uh, with uh, streets of gold and gates of pearls. And then Jesus even says, we just need to catch this. right? Because Christmas is the first advent. And we're waiting now for the second advent. The time when Jesus and Revelation ends with, with Jesus promising, chapter 22, verse 7, after the river of life and the, the tree of the life which is restored, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Right? We're, we're looking for the coming return of Jesus when he'll come and wrap up all this mess. Revelation 22, he says again, says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And John finishes this up, and he says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And then John writes, remember, he says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May He come and may He restore things. Not back to where it was, right? But, but to what it will be with the redeemed souls of those who trusted in Him in heaven and glory forevermore. So, there's a story of the Bible, books of the Bible. As you read them, just understand kind of the perspective about where they come in and what they're talking about. And I just, I'm pressing you all, urging you all to be masters of the Bible so that you could even just take a blank sheet of paper and write this out. Have it in your mind. Right? Be knowing things like the Ten Commandments and the, the, the kings of Israel, perhaps. Right? Can you say the kings of Israel? Probably not. It'd be a good thing to work on. And the Ten Commandments and understanding the life of Christ. And just understanding the Scriptures. The more deeply you understand the Scriptures, the more deeply it's going to impact you, the more steadily you're going to walk. You're going to be like the tree planted by streams of water. So let's, let's pray together. Oh, Father, I pray for all of us here this morning, for all of us online watching, God, that we would be masters of the Word of God which You've given to us. Not merely content with just Bible verses for particular issues, God, but to see the whole flow of books and to see the whole flow of history, God, that we have messed things up. God, that we are not righteous, that we can't expect even Rock Valley Bible Church to be this great place of bringing the kingdom because we're doing things right because we haven't. God, we've messed up and we have sinned. But I'm, I'm grateful to you, God, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there'll be a day when Jesus returns on his white horse, waging war, suppressing your enemies and bringing your friends to yourself. When you restore all things, and I pray, God, you give us a vision of revelation at the end. When you do restore all things and it's all made right and there's no sorrow and no tears and we live in this perfect place, there's no need for light because you are our light. We have the the river and the, the tree of life that we can eat from. And as even John says, God, oh, please come, Lord Jesus. Please come and restore things that we might know anew and afresh of what things will be. I also pray for us, Rock Valley Bible Church, may we work in a year's project, God, to be masters of your Bible. That your Bible would master us, that we'd embrace everything your Bible teaches. In Jesus' name, amen.